94.7 Kumu Kokua because Kumu cares. This is your Kumu Kokua segment. This is where we bring in Hawaii's leaders and experts to talk about the issues you care about and to answer your questions. And back for his Law Friday update about COVID-19, we have the Lieutenant Governor of the State of Hawaii, Dr. Josh Green. Hey, thanks for welcoming me and uh, I'm at I'm all yours. I'm at your service. Oh, awesome. absolutely. And then before we get underway talking about COVID-19, sir, we wanted to wish you a belated yes. happy birthday and we hope it was a good one it was wonderful you know my family was and is always great to me and my staff was particularly wonderful too they just just so many great people and i think i received like three thousand well wishes wow so thank you that was really incredible uh it's touching and uh just amazing you guys are so great um, okay, so let's get right into it. Um, sir, let's, you know, you've been at the forefront of the whole vaccine effort. So why don't we talk about that first? Can you help us understand what is happening with the vaccines right now in Hawaii? How's it? We keep hearing reports that the supply has slowed down. And can you kind of quantify that? And I'm wondering if that's why uh, the existing vaccines are being reserved for Kupuna who needs second shots. There's been some discussion about people not getting their second shots and people having a hard time getting reservations. Can you update us on that? Sure. So uh, the vaccine hasn't slowed down at all. It's actually increased slightly week over week, but not by a lot. So, for example, uh, this week we got 41,700 doses. The previous week, I believe we had about 32,000 doses come in. And next week we're expecting 42,800 doses. But it feels as though it's slowing down because you always have more people that need that second shot. And really, we do need a big boost in in overall quantity of vaccine from the feds. Otherwise, you can see how that would have that uh, have that feeling. You know, we'll do a whole week of 50,000 people that get their first shot, and then the next week, the 50,000 that get their first shot, and then the next week. But then that following week, the fourth week, you'll have to do 50,000 second shots, and you would want to do 50,000 first shots. So that's why specifically it feels like it's backed up. And it can't keep up pace just yet because they haven't super accelerated things. Although the administration did just uh, move up there by to a total of 600 million doses. That's the 300 million Americans through July. So we will get all that we need as we get toward the summer. Plus we're going to start adding the Johnson and Johnson in a couple of weeks. And that's going to be a big, you know, big deal. You know, that means that there might not be as many first shots scheduled uh, until we catch up, but, it's going to be a constant uh, tug and tug of war to get as many second shots into people, which is necessary to get that full immunity, especially for our kupuna and the first shot that we all want. Can you help us then understand, does that affect the timeline for which people are going to get their first shots and second shots? Because I know uh, I saw this week you were talking about also moving the timeline up for Kupuna, age 65 and older, to have them start getting their shots starting March 1st. Um, the essential workers in 1B and 1C levels are kind of having some trouble getting their first shots done. What does this all mean? Like, is the timeline changing? Uh, well, the timeline will continuously change until we get a full-on gigantic amount of uh, vaccination from Mm. the federal government. But as of about, it's going to be somewhere around February 25th, which is a Thursday, uh, two weeks from now, uh, that's when the formal requests will be processed and be worked up by the feds on the Johnson & Johnson shot, for instance. And that is expected to yield us about 20,000 extra shots per week once they're ticking along. And remember, Johnson & Johnson is just one shot. So I expect a lot of 
frontline workers, people in 1B, as they as they head there, if they haven't been scheduled yet, I'm completely positive that a ton of people will say, hey, you know what? That thing may only be 66 to 72% effective, but it's one shot. I'm young. I'm 46 years old. I don't necessarily need to be all in with two shots, and they want to get it over with. So that's going to additionally open up more vaccine from the Pfizer and Moderna for our Kupuna. And that's why I've timed that request to head into the early part of March so that when we begin to open up 65 to 74, and I, I do have an update for you on that, we're going to focus on those 65 to 74 that have some chronic disease or health challenge. That's about two-thirds of them. Mm-hmm. So we can move forward. Uh, I'll remind you, we, we probably talked about this before, but there are 146,000 individuals in our state that are between the age of 65 and 74. So that would add about 100,000 people into that category, which would tend to take about six weeks uh, to do. So it's just, you know, it's kind of ever, it's ever going battle with um the needs that we have as people. And I was very grateful to see that now more and more people are, uh, you know, are interested in getting the vaccine. You saw that poll that now as many as 91% of people may be interested. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was, uh, it was broken down. 55% will do it right now. And 36% will do it eventually. So we're going to get to everybody. And it's kind of my job self, you know, self-proclaimed to push the system along and to continuously provide inertia forward to get this done because I don't think that people want to wait. I also think that we can't afford to wait. We have to push the envelope at all times, whether it's pushing the feds or helping our department of health continue to, you know, be gung ho, which they are to get this done because until we are vaccinated and immune, we won't be able to fully open the state safely. And until we can fully open the state, our people are going to really struggle. Okay. Uh, Thank you very much. Lieutenant Governor Josh Green joining us here. Lieutenant Governor, regarding the uh, process for getting the the shot, for getting the vaccination, do they have to defrost these things and then are they sitting around? Because I've heard that uh, people are getting put on a waiting list. Like you come, you you know, people show up and they don't have an appointment, but they they try to get a um, uh, get on a waiting list because at the end of the day, if there's some leftover that they can then uh, dispense those shots. Is that true? Uh, yeah, it, it is. And here's how it works. The vaccine, for instance, the Pfizer vaccine has to be thawed. And what we tend to do is right before the day starts, we thaw about a third of the doses that are projected. And then as the day goes, as they see that there aren't a lot of cancellations or people missing their appointments or what mm-hmm. have you, they begin to thaw more and more and more. And it thaws pretty quickly. It's a very small bio. Once you've thawed this stuff, though, you're on the clock. You can then refrigerate it, but there's not a lot of desire to do that. You really want to use it that day mm-hmm. because you don't want this this um, vaccine to de- what's called denature and break down and then not be effective. So they, they really do their very best to um, titrate up and up and up as they go through the day how many they have to thaw so that they don't you know, waste any. And I've been told that they are as low as one to five doses at the end of the day uh, with their accurate count, even though they may have like 1800 people come in. And so you can imagine if it, if they're still doing this at 5.30 PM and at 4.45, a handful of people just couldn't make it in or there was traffic or whatever, for whatever reason they bail on it, they got a shot somewhere else. A lot of people sign up at two places and try to get in as soon as they can. Mm -hmm. It could create a problem. So, I've been very impressed by how careful 
HPA, Queens, Department of Health, and so many other partners have been. Uh, they do have a couple names. Usually they have more volunteers rather than names that are there already vaccinating people that if, you know, if three people don't show up, they can simply give a vaccine to them. Mm-hmm. They've on occasion taken a name from another 75-year-old or so that says, I can get down there in 20 minutes if you happen to have vaccine. Mm-hmm. Um, we're really trying to err on the side of doing just the our kupuna in that age category and those who have already been, you know, approached as critical infrastructure workers because we're trying to stick as close to the system as we can it can't be perfect i will tell you that we're now already seeing you know desires to set up additional pods people are volunteering their space and doing more kupuna i mean it's quite nice um for instance the korean uh american uh, community approached us and they had 140 i think 140 uh members of one of their churches that were all over 75 and they are going to help organized sometime in a month a pod where it can just be done for that group of 75 plus year olds because they would all go to one place so Hmm. there's just so much all the time that i think that there's a fair amount of uh chatter in the coconut wireless but you know we've now given what is it as of yesterday of 227,401 shots by today's number we'll get this morning it'll be 235,000 for sure and by the time we're through uh this weekend we're probably going to be over 250,000 injections given, and that's no small feat in in like less than two months. Okay. Um, another question about vaccines. Various listeners have said that they are essential workers in 1B or 1C levels. Um, I know we're not yet in 1C, but several of them say they are in 1B. They say their employers have asked, like they've applied uh, for COVID-19, I guess, uh, the vaccine approvals so that they can send their workers. And they put in the applications weeks ago and have they don't know what's happening. Like they, they're saying they don't have any word uh, from officials on, you know, how to move forward or whether their application has been approved or denied or so forth. So they don't know how to get um, vaccines. What kind of, uh, if they're in 1B, essential workers, what, what kind of uh, advice would you have for them? Just to be patient, it's coming. Their, their application is not lost or anything. The Department mm-hmm. of Health is just doing over and above their regular responsibilities to keep the state healthy and deal with diabetes and heart disease and everything else, they're also dealing with this. This is a whole nother, essentially, department effort for the whole state. And the, you know, the 1B categories that are lower on the priority list, although everyone's critically important, but that are somewhat lower than, say, the uh, Kupuna and then the first responders and then the people that work at the prisons, and then now the educators, the the teachers and educators are now being aggressively vaccinated. It's just going down the list. Mm -hmm. And so just like there's a list of probably about 900,000 people ultimately that are going to want to be vaccinated, there's probably a list of 500 organizations that have reached out and want to be vaccinated and have their people because they're in 1B. And so it's it's a process. I do have some good news that it will it will get more and more streamlined as we go forward. For one thing, the 1B category is by far the most complicated category. And it's because it's got so many different uh, sub-prioritized groups. When we get to the 1C uh, group uh, or, or category, it's a lot simpler. And then stage two, the whole stage two, mm-hmm. is very straightforward. It's, it's essentially everyone who's left except for children. And we are going to have a kind of a global sign-up site ready, I'm told, by like about the 25th of February in about two weeks. 
Oh, so oh, wow. that's going to be very good. Now, what I believe that will look like, and and you know, I, I'll I, I'll eagerly await to see exactly how it plays out. But what it will probably look like, it will just open up categories one by one as time goes by, and we have enough vaccines for people to sign up. And it'll kind of look like a maybe like a grayed out area until you're opened, and then you can sign up there. And that's how we will go through all of society when you're not in one of these. Um, prioritized categories that have to be vaccinated otherwise the state can't function so it, it'll be good it'll be welcome probably should have happened you know a little bit ago but this is the complicated phase of the vaccine program because this is the controlled phase the free-for-all phase will happen once we have uh, done our most vulnerable people and get a lot more vaccine we don't want just the johnson johnson to come online we also want the astrazeneca and some of the others to come online. Mm, okay. Thank you, Lieutenant Governor. So what you're saying is that uh, toward the end of this month, we're going to have that global sign-up website. But up to this point, the way that people in level 1B get their vaccine, or at least they need to be patient, because the process is that employers have to, am I being correct, employers have to apply in for the 1B level uh, to get their workers vaccinated. They have to wait for Department of Health approval, and then those workers can work move forward but we're not really in a stage right now where we have a lot of vaccines for them so they have to be patient is that correct that's correct but i would say remember that also in the 1b category are kapuna 75 and older and they've been able to sign up directly when there's vaccines through the Mm hawaiicovid19.com but yes if you're in employed class like let me let me give you an example if you are a um an individual that that works at the prison system the prison uh, system or the public safety division worked up the numbers on how many people need vaccines and then they're managing that and it goes on and on from there so mm-hmm. there's lots of categories uh, i mean i'm looking at the prioritized list and it's somewhat big in 1b and then it gets simpler in 1c mm, okay. okay thank All you very right. much lieutenant governor thank you um I was wondering if, if i can i want to pivot to the the numbers the COVID numbers uh we've been looking okay um, did pretty good earlier this week, and then it started to spike again. We were assuming that was from Super Bowl. Um, what, what do you think? How's it looking? Pause you there. I would say I very rarely like to disagree, but I would I'd be hesitant to say that because it will take eight days, nine days before you ever really see the effects of gatherings. Mm-hmm. Uh, the median time to to actually become positive is five days plus. Right. Around five days, two hours. So uh. the Super Bowl only happened like about five days ago. So we would only start seeing those numbers likely Tuesday, Wednesday of next week because of the lag. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that really what we've seen, because the, the last five days, as you know, I don't have to tell you this, but have been good. It's like um, it was 75, then 33, mm-hmm. then 37, 56, and 95. And 95 on a Thursday is very typical. There's always a little bump um, on Thursdays because that's when we get the full effect of people coming off the weekend where there's left testing, getting mm-hmm. a test on Monday, mm-hmm. and getting those results okay. on Monday, Tuesday. So, and I looked back at the numbers very carefully yesterday and to, to reconfirm that, and it was. So, for instance, the previous uh, Thursday also had been a bump from the Wednesday, and the same thing the previous week before that. Uh, so... Overall, the trend is good. What I prefer to look at is, as you know, the seven-day average, which is 67, which mm-hmm. is way lower. We were at 138 back on January 3rd, so almost exactly twice, really. 
exactly twice, actually, uh, about a month ago. And also the positivity rate. So a positivity rate is the reflection of how many positives we actually get per, you know, per hundred. And it's dropping. It's at 1.37%. That thing was at, um, back on, again, way, way back in the beginning of January, it had gone you know, basically up to about 4%. Mm-hmm. It was at 3.77%, I think. And that tells you that uh, there's just way less dense disease, there's less community spread, and the, the case counts are going to drop. And then finally, the actual active number of real cases that are still, that have been confirmed in the last two weeks, last 14 days, is down to 1,077. And two weeks ago to the day, uh, that count was, uh, 1,539. And two weeks before that, if I pull up my notes, the, um, the count was 2,280. So we're, we're down 50%, the active number of cases, and down 70%, the percent positivity. So the trends are definitely that we have less cases, less hospitalizations, less fatalities per week. But that does not mean we should let our guard down. It just means that we're doing well. And this thing can get just like it got good in four weeks, it can get bad in four weeks if we don't uh, show some care. Right. Yeah. Uh, just as a follow-up, I I get the Seattle Times uh, news updates, and they uh, recently were mentioning their coronavirus cases at one thousand five hundred fifty-seven for like Washington State, yeah, or like two thousand something. And then I go, wow, we got ninety-three. Well, because we're a much smaller population. I mean, we're much smaller, but yeah. you're like, wow, that's that's really cool. That's kind of nice. <laughs> We've been doing a good job. Yeah. Yeah. It still ends up being reflected as the number of people in the hospital. And that means we will be able to manage it. You know, Mm -hmm. Uh, it's, they have more healthcare than we do. Of course, everything is magnified, but people in Hawaii have done a really great job and they deserve some relief from this. So I think we will get relief before too long. Obviously I don't speak for uh, mayor Blanchiardi though. I am fond of him and he's, he's, really diligently planning for how to move to uh, a safe but open uh, capacity for Honolulu. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, we are mindful of what the Super Bowl could have brought. I mean, it brought yet another ring for Tom Brady, <laughs> although I'll take my guy Terry Bradshaw any day of the week. But I will tell you that, uh, you know, Tom Brady and all of his touchdowns probably will mean that people did gather and celebrate it and not on him, but we'll have a few extra cases. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. It's it, you know, numbers would not shock me if they bumped up a little bit, but it's not going to be like July Fourth. I would be shocked if that happened. Okay, all right, thank you, sir. Um, sir, I wanted to pivot a little bit to talk about that mental health study that came out of the Department of Health here in Hawaii. Um, you know, talking about the vast, uh, like really large numbers of people who have suffered some major uh, anxiety, depression, uh, panic attacks, etc., uh, as a result of the pandemic. Is the state going to take actual, like, tangible steps to help people with this, or are you guys kind of banking on we're almost out of this? Everybody hang on just a little longer. Well, that remains to be seen. What the legislature does, if they give us extra resources, which they should, uh, for mental illness, for behavioral health problems, for drug treatment. I mean, I've never seen any uh, better argument to fortify our behavioral health system. And I hope that they will. Of course, they're up against it because there's 
not a lot of resources out there. But in my opinion, just one person's opinion, this is the time to prioritize uh, behavioral health. And so I hope it happens. Uh, we will keep doing our part as physicians and nurse practitioners and PAs in the community. We'll do all that we can. But what, what will happen is if they don't increase resources and, and further fortify hiring of psychiatrists, psychologists, then it will drift into the general public um, condition. And we will, like we often do after crises, see uh, those who struggle the most struggle even more for a short time. I'll fight for it. I know that uh, there's lots of great people in the Department of Health. I'm not going to name them here because I don't want them to be singled out before trying to lobby through me. Uh, but this is the time to do that. Mm -hmm. And we've had other times in our history in America where we had large crises and we didn't take care of those with uh, depression and mental illness. And it resulted downstream in a lot more people who were homeless, on drugs, and, and the like. So. Mm -hmm. Hopefully this is short enough lived that it won't have, won't create a long spike. I mean, this, this pandemic, though it feels like it's gone on forever, uh, is now coming to an end in the next couple months. It really will, if not be gone, it's going to be greatly diminished. And people's jobs that were there are going to still, for the most part, be there again. There will be some restructuring of Hawaii in our economy, but, you know, hotels are going to still be there, almost all of them. Restaurants are going to mostly be there. Some small businesses took it on the chin, but they may rally because of the, the new wave of, of loans from the federal government. So I hope that the depression uh, is something that we can kind of snap out of because it wasn't a five-year like downturn. It was a one-year downturn. We're talking with Lieutenant Governor Josh Green. Um, in addition to the findings from that mental health study, which you know focused primarily on things like uh, anxiety and depression, you know we have been also talking with uh, people with you know with domestic violence, talking about an increase there. Um, anecdotally, we've heard about uh, at least um, some small increase, uh, unfortunately, in suicides as well. If you could wave a, a wand right now in terms of mental health support in Hawaii, what tangibly would you like to see i would i would provide a lot of extra support for uh, people like heather luck at harm reduction at for the institute of health services ihs i would make sure that they provide enough resources for all of our public health departments to hire psychologists uh, and some psychiatrists the state hospital is doing okay but it's always going to be in need I'd provide resources for ACT teams for those who have mental illness on the street. I would provide support for groups like Project Vision uh, who do community-based care. I would make sure that we actually build more of the Ohana, um, kind of Ohana zone slash Kauhale like I've been talking about. At, and I would give more resources to the police and medics to, to be supportive of those in a health space. And that probably means a 20% increase in the behavioral health budget. I'm not talking about doubling or tripling it, but uh, for a period of 24 months, that would be the way to take care of one society. It's, it's mm -hmm. the kind of thing I'll fight for if I'm governor in the future. It's really necessary for us to do this kind of thing because people are hurting and we can't just make excuses. That's why we have the legislative body to make priorities. And I know that they are doing hard to be frugal because of the great, great cuts that are out there. Mm -hmm. But I can tell you, if people adopt the plan I've put into place, which is to open up sensibly based on vaccination status, we can be open this summer and have actually a pretty robust economy by fall. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you, you know, just react 
to the concerns of a, a budget shortfall. I would instead focus on getting the state open safely. By the way, what is the status of that proposal uh, of reopening based on immunizations? Did the governor say yes? The governor said uh, maybe and build the program. Put They're going to put it in the emergency proclamation as a um, plan to be triggered by General Hara. And General mm. Hara will be the one who, you know, who is our lead and who is terrific to then uh, peg the date. It looks to me like March 1st for the first iteration of that for our essential workers that are traveling a lot and use the vaccine for that. April 1st is very uh, possible for inner island travel for the rest of us that get the vaccine plus two weeks, so you're immune. And then we're aiming, hopeful, for May 1st. And the CDC actually gave us the guidance to do this. Whether or not people want to read it that way, it is a fact. The CDC, uh, the day before yesterday, said that those individuals who are fully vaccinated, if they come in contact with someone that's got COVID, they do not need to quarantine. Mm-hmm. And translated, that means if you are vaccinated, you're safe to move about, irrespective of what your contacts are. Still wear a mask, but that is the best possible way for us to feel safe about travel and opening our state. And please make sure people understand I'm doing two things when I make this proposal. First, the people traveling here will be safe because they will be immune. But maybe even more importantly, these dates are pegged to when we ourselves have gotten through 1B and 1C, meaning our people who are most vulnerable will be immune before those mm-hmm. milestones are, are, are met and pushed. So if you look at where May 1st is, that will be when we basically are through the majority of 1C. We've ramped up our immunity very significantly for our healthcare community, our Kapuna nursing homes, our Kapuna 75 plus, our Kapuna 65 plus our essential workers, those with chronic disease. If we stay closed at that point, it's it's basically Lolo. You know, <laughs> at that point, we are safe and and we are condemning our citizens to, to isolation away from an economy that just isn't right. So I'm going to keep pushing this. I have every expectation that the governor likes these kind of analytic approaches. So I think it's going to work fine. Meanwhile, we're going to be watching things like the uh, variants, like the case counts, like our hospital numbers. I watch those things about 20 hours a day. I don't know, maybe 21 hours a day. So I think that we can get there very safely. And we can also adjust if, God, you know, God forbid, we have a, uh, you know, a surge of, of a strain like the South African strain that we can't control as well. Mm. We'll be mindful of that. All right, thank you. Lieutenant Governor, real quickly, um, how are you feeling with the uh, the coordination with uh, the nationwide efforts on, on COVID stuff? You know, they're talking about, oh, we're going to buy more vaccine, we're going to do all these things. Uh, are, are you feeling more comfortable with, with how they're running things now? You know, as opposed to when Trump was running it? <laughs> well, <laughs> I just mean from, from day one when they took office till now, because there's been a there's been quite a ramp up and it's been really fast. You know what I mean? Like they've had to sort of make adjustments on the fly really fast. And, and yeah, they're following the science and all of that stuff. But I love it. You know, this like I, you've, you've heard and people, I think I've got an idea just from my conversation in a small state, how complex this this lift is. Imagine when you're looking at 50 states plus the territories, plus they just got into office. And you know what? For any of our, and there may not be a lot of them, but our Republican listeners to this show, I'm also appreciative of Trump's team, you know, working towards getting a vaccine ready. I don't think the rollout was particularly good, but I think that 
it was complicated. And now I'm very grateful that this is priority number one, because just like as I'm expressing, this is a priority to keep our people safe, but it has the full ripple effect of whether or not we can survive economically and then pay for perfect example, pay for those mental health services that we need for our people who have struggled. If we don't have revenues, we can't do it no matter what we want to do. Mm-hmm. So Biden and his team has made this the priority. I've felt honored to be able to communicate with them directly uh, from time to time. And they're busting their butts to, to make this work. Like awesome. I said earlier, it's not going to be perfect, but for the most part, we're moving in very good increments week over week. I don't, I can tell you today. So today is the 12th, right? And we've done 235,000 or so vaccines. If we look back at the, uh, the seventh, we were somewhere around, Oh, where were we? Way less. I think that we were, we were certainly under 200,000 vaccines given. We were at like 198,000 shots given um, five days ago. So, you know, we're pushing hard. And where I like to push twice as hard, of course, but you you push against a a stone wall, they literally don't have any vaccine. I can't extract the vaccine out of that rock. So if I could figure that out, I think we'd be in good shape. So each day we're going to keep pressing them and each week we're going to get safer Hawaii. So um, have hope that, you know, you look out the door, there's a little bit of sunlight coming through now because we're going to be safe in the spring and summer. Mm. We didn't get to talk about uh, things like the the CDC double masking thing, and I wanted to jump more into tourism. We won't have time to do that today, but I might encourage our listeners to also check out Lieutenant Governor Josh Green on social media. Super, super informative. If you haven't already, definitely check that out. Sir, thank you so much, Lieutenant Governor Josh Green, the birthday boy from yesterday. I appreciate that. Take care. See you next week.